Welcome to Business with Beers, a podcast for business owners who want to scale their business to massively grow their income and contribution by investing in people, process, and technology. I am your host, Brian Beers. This week, we've got a great show with Mike Bonades. He's a real estate investor and entrepreneur owning a property management and construction company. His niche is C and D class properties in what he calls the Deep South Jersey. You know, most of these properties were built between the 1880s and the 1940s. And it goes into the challenges and the opportunity of having to problem solve and think on his feet. You know, Mike and I have a great conversation about starting a business and how it's not all the glitz and glamour that you see on Instagram. You know, Mike's got some great stories as well that literally include skeletons inside the walls of some of these old homes that they've opened up. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, rate and review with your favorite part to help us reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics covered in this podcast, you can check out brianbeers.com to sign up for my free weekly newsletter delivering content directly to your inbox. Hey, welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, this wouldn't be business with beers if I didn't ask you that me and you are at your favorite bar in South Jersey. Uh, what are we drinking? Oh, we are absolutely drinking uh, Golden Monkey by Victoria uh, Victory. Okay. Uh, sure. it's pretty heavy. You need it usually when you're recovering from a day of of, uh, uh, of rough management or uh, you know rough business doings. So love go. that brand. Awesome. And uh, yeah, if you could, for the audience, share uh, your story, who you are, uh, what you do, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So, you know, um, I am a, uh, I'm a landlord first and foremost down in deep South uh, Jersey. I think when a lot of people think of New Jersey, they think of the Sopranos, they think of, you know, the North Jersey urbanization. It's just a giant city. Well, there's this other section, uh, which is South Jersey, which uh, uh, shares a lot more in common with places like Alabama than it does probably with New York City. Uh, it's a pretty, we, 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 I like to say I'm a swamp boy. I, I come, you know, there's a lot of swamps down there. And uh, that's where I'm from. And I'm a landlord in there. Uh, and I, uh, uh, I uh, when I got started with landlording, uh, I noticed there was a, a demand for good property management in the South Jersey area. Uh, because uh, it was both rural and the asset class is difficult to manage. It's primarily C and D assets, uh, so a little bit on the lower end. Uh, so from that, we saw an opportunity, me and my partner, and uh, we we started a property management company. And now I manage uh, approximately 400 units in deep South Jersey, uh, where it's pretty rural. I mean, we're talking areas that might be an hour away from the closest Home Depot. Um, so uh, it, it's definitely um, a, a very uh, interesting niche to get into. And then additionally, I uh, co-own a maintenance and construction business, uh, which primarily focuses on pre-1940 multifamily construction, which is one hell of a niche. Uh, we're talking properties that were built between 1880, 1860 to 1940. Um, Victorian conversions, you know, the stuff that there wasn't even, you know, nobody was even thinking of code uh, when they were even thinking of standardization. You built these properties originally with whatever tools you had in your little, your, your grandfather had his little tool shack and, um, uh, and you just made the house go as, as you went. A lot of this stuff is built like a jigsaw puzzle. 
And um, uh, there's not a lot of people who know how to operate on it. So uh, we're one of the few people that, that we do this stuff all the time. We'll, we'll do 10 buildings at, at a given time of, of like these, these two, three, four, and six uh, unit buildings, generally in those sizes, and, and we'll turn them into to, to rentals. Um, so, you know, that, that's what I do on this very okay. uh, uh, pretty remote area okay. in Jersey. How many, um, how many do you own yourself? I own 29. I okay. 29 myself. So, you know, decent size. Um, but, uh, I, I definitely got started there before, um, uh, I became a property manager, which I think is important in, in a property manager to be, you know, to also be a yeah, to, to so. know what it's like, right. To, uh, have both sides of it. So are, are they mainly like small, those small multifamily, two, three, four, five, six unit, uh, yes. places, single family homes. What's yeah, it? I, I, I completely vacated the single family home space. Um, okay. I, I, I think in South Jersey, at least single family homes are way less lucrative than multifamily homes. Um, we said to seem it's funny because you can always hear in books and like online, single family homes are way easier to manage than multifamily homes. And I think that's just completely false. Um, I think single family homes are much harder to manage than, uh, from the maintenance perspective, much harder to manage, uh, than, uh, multifamily homes. And, um, uh, and, and in Jersey, we're coming out, you know, at the time of this, this, this podcast, we're coming out of the pandemic and New Jersey has been notorious on how it's dealt with landlords. Um, and the, there's a, a moratorium that is just for the state of New Jersey. And we've seen a greater abuse of that system in single family homes and we did in multifamily homes, which might be an interesting story to dive into. But um, uh, yeah, that, so we're mainly multifamily, small multis, and then I have some mixed use buildings too. So, you know, retail on the bottom, uh, uh, residential on the top. Okay. All right. And and so this niche you have, Deep South Jersey, because it's like Alabama, and C and, Cle, uh, D and C and D class properties because of the age, not necessarily the neighborhood, but just the, the type of properties, right? Um, I would actually, I, I, I would say the neighborhoods are, 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 I think if you compared them to what you'd see in the Midwest and I think where currently it's very popular by hounds, you would definitely say demographically, this is CND as well. We're talking lower blue collar income, okay. um, areas. Uh, we do do a lot of section eight. So, but the section eight does, has nothing to deal with normally how the attitude of the tenants, there's great section eight tenants out there, but we're about 40% low income. Uh, and uh, or, or Section Eight vouchers and the other sixty percent um, blue collar workforce. We're talking a lot of forklift drivers, a lot of uh, uh, industrial areas um, that that are found in, in South Jersey. Awesome. And so, I mean, you saw there's a need right for this, but is is this the niche you like? Like, do you like the space? Have you figured out like that you got the magic sauce that you can make money at this thing that it's that's worth it? So it's, it's so weird how these things evolve out, right? Like I came, I was actually living in Washington, DC before I moved back to South Jersey where I'm from, uh, to, to become a landlord because I thought that there the barrier to entry for property or for landlording was high in South Jersey, but the spreads were incredible. You know, not often is there a place in the United States you can buy a property for 30, $40,000 and then also get $1,200 rent. You know, that's not, it's not yeah. a very common area, but there's the, 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 the negative that, or the con that comes with this is New Jersey is highly legislated, highly regulated, and the regulation is often found on the township level. Uh, and to describe that for people that aren't from this area, bottom line, there's these like mini fiefdoms that exist in, in New Jersey that can create their own ordinances and a lot of times it's small town politics all day long. So you have to learn to navigate that system if you want to be 
successful as a landlord in those areas. So I decided to come back here because I had connections here. I had my, you know, a, a network here mm-hmm. and um, I was going to be a landlord here. And then it kind of just developed that like, well, if I'm going to be a landlord in South Jersey, I guess I'm sticking my hands and just, you know, see assets. And then I just learned, like, I kind of, uh, we started getting more questions. Uh, me and my partner started saying, like, hey, can you help us out with this? Hey, can you help us out with that? They realized that we knew how to handle it. Then we were solving these problems. And and the brand kind of built itself over time. Now, you know, when people say, yo, I have a rental in Millville, you know, there, there's only one company that usually comes up. It's it's us. And People think that we have the, you know, and I guess we have the special sauce to make it work. You know, our, our rent collections work out and we can get maintenance completed at an incredibly reasonable time and reasonable rate, which is hard to do in these rural areas where um, uh, supply is a major factor. The supply of labor is a major factor. It's it's very limited. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about the, the you know, the, the profitability of owning, uh, from a landlord's perspective, right, of owning a, one of these seer uh, D class properties, you know, a lot of times they look great on paper, right? The the spreadsheet numbers of some of these look look fantastic. I mean, I myself owned a, a number that, uh, you know, we thought you know ten percent maintenance, whatever, it would all work out, and then at the end we were spending crazy amounts of of money on maintenance on very similar style homes that were built, you know, around nineteen hundred, and all these things, you know, were deferred maintenance or that you know maybe we should have got inspected and we didn't. That uh, ended up like being cash flow negative or, or near zero and nothing like the spreadsheet, right? So that's what sometimes people are attracted to, like, oh, this cheap house is high rent, like you said, $30,000, $1,200. But there's like there's a lot else that goes into this, right? So maybe you could talk, because um, you've kind of seen it all from a maintenance perspective, a management perspective, and then obviously as a landlord of, you know, what's what's the side that, that the, the spreadsheet isn't telling us? Yeah, I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head. It's very, it, it, a lot of investors today just put maintenance as a spreadsheet item. They're like, oh, okay, just 10%. We'll be fine. We'll just allocate it to there. And then, you know, if some maintenance will get done and, you know, it'll, it'll flow and, and it, everything will be good. That's usually not the case with these, especially order properties and in the demographic CMD assets. Um, and it, it's multi you know, faceted reason why, and I'll, I'll, I'll go over it. Um, the first and foremost is the age of the property. Like I said, a lot of these properties were built like jigsaw puzzles. Um, they were not standardized uh, during construction. And therefore, when a problem arises, uh, you probably don't have a not, you have a non-standard answer to this, this construction. So if you have a pipe break in, let's say, a 1880s triplex, uh, you know, the standard answer could be, hey, why don't we, we'll just replace this, either the copper with PEX or the copper with copper or PEX with PEX and go on with our merry lives. Um, well, you found, you know, it's actually a lead pipe that's a 12 foot section and it's split down the middle. And now it's all of a sudden a much harder solve to make this problem uh, uh, go away. So uh, it takes a little bit more critical thinking and diagnostic work on this. Uh, uh, on these properties, and therefore the price is higher to do work on these properties. Um, so you do have to factor that in. And if you didn't purchase it right, knowing that you would get these problems in the first couple of years, you're going to be underwater. Um, and, and if you don't go in and fully like renovate everything, you're going to run into these kinds of problems uh, as you go through this property. And I think the unknowing buyer who just puts it on the spreadsheet and then makes an assumption uh, uh, about what the quality of the construction is, 
gets burnt on these things. Um, especially if you have like things like Victorian conversions, which is what it, uh, a, was once a single family house that was chopped up into other uh, yep. uh, uh, units. Uh, a lot of times they may put walls behind, uh, they may wall off areas and you don't even know what's it, literal skeletons. We've actually found skeletons behind walls uh, uh, in uh, some of these properties. Um, you know, there was a time when we had a property for rent. We knocked down the wall for the uh, the bathroom and we found out there was another bathroom, a full bathroom behind this wall. And we're just like, ah, yes, now we have this to deal with, right? Like, <laughs> and these are some of the surprises uh, 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 that you get. The other element is when you're in CND assets, um, you do have that certain tenant demographic uh, that could do extra wear and tear on the property. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you try to foolproof this. You try to create a system that says, we're going to explain absolutely everything to you. Uh, and, and we're going to make it very easy for you to submit a maintenance request and have things dealt with. But that doesn't foolproof everything. And we all know not everybody's the most, into, you know, uh, nobody's reasonable. Nobody's reasonable. Um, yep. So uh, you may tell them, please do not um, flush this object. Uh, down the sewer pipe or whatever it may be. And, um, it, you know, it still gets flushed down there. You could say, hey, I'm going to charge you back for that. But at the end of the day, are, are you going to evict someone over $300? Probably not. That's probably a bad financial decision in a CND asset where you, uh, uh, if you turn, if you have to go to New Jersey for eviction, and this might be different if you're in, you know, Alabama or Louisiana, but if you're going to eviction in New Jersey, you, you know, it, it could take three months and are you going to evict someone for a $300, uh, snake or, or, you know, or $20 snake? Probably not. Um, so sometimes those one-time hits come up, uh, yeah. uh, in the property. And then additionally, you do have some exterior, um, Un- uncontrollable problems that come up in some of these CMD assets. Like we we're in the business of turning bad streets into good streets um, with a lot of our customers. And I've had times where we have a, a sewer clean, which for anybody who doesn't know what a sewer clean is, it's the exterior trap that you can pull up and snake if you need to, yep. uh, 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 to flush something out. Well, the bottle kids, if you've ever seen trailer park boys, uh, have come down the street and they decided to put a bottle down, a beer bottle down the, the trap for you. And uh, uh, now that bottle got lodged in there. Now you got to tear up the street and that's an $8,000 fix uh, because a kid put a bottle down the, 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 the thing. And your, your rental may be incredibly profitable, right? You might have a $1,200 uh, uh, spread and, and you might be netting, you know, uh, you know, 900 bucks, but those one-time hits do come up and you need to be able to uh, uh, pay for so, those when they do come up. So what do you see for the 400 properties that manage? Uh, what percentage are they spending on repairs and maintenance? It's not, if it's not 10%, is, it, is 20 like a safe number then? It, it, so it's, it's definitely, it's... Or is it a fixed amount, like $5,000 a, a year per thing and it's not a percentage? Yeah, I would advise it, it goes in phases. I tell my customers all this the same thing, especially if, they get, if, they, if they've been doing this. We notice that a lot of the landlords that tackle these types of projects aren't new. They're tenured landlords because they kind of know what's going to happen. But your first one to two years, you're probably not going to be profitable, uh, uh, especially if you're getting deferred maintenance building. Or if you did, let's say, a 50% renovation on like these older buildings because you're going to yeah. find something or if it's an REO, especially, it's been vacant for three years, you know, what the hell's going to happen when, when things come up? So your first two years, you're probably not very profitable. And then you're, you're after your next two years, you might see, you're probably going to see the maintenance drop down to like that 
10, 15%. That's pretty, that's pretty uh, uh, normal. Now the key is getting that long-term tenant that's going yeah. to be there for a number of years. Cause when you get to that, that long-term five, seven year tenancies, you notice that the maintenance rate drops even lower than 10%. That's when mm. you get really profitable. But I think there's that expectation that people buy these renovations or buy these uh, uh, assets and they think that they're going to be profitable in month three or even month one. That's when it's even really ridiculous. It's just, that's just not realistic for what this asset yeah. class is. Okay. Yes, that that's pretty good advice though. That, that you know, it's it's a long term real estate's a long term mindset, right? So two years, don't plan on taking any money out of it. And then then it should get it should get better and get reasonable. So Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, Brian Beers here. In addition to being an entrepreneur, a podcast host, and a real estate investor, I work with a handful of clients as a strategic business coach. Success is 80% mindset and 20% mechanics. And as your coach, first, I focus on that 80% mindset. I help you get clarity on the vision that you want to create for your life and your business. We then set goals that align with creating that future. From there, it's all about having a laser focus and taking action on a daily basis. You know, I'm a friendly guy, but you're not hiring me to be your friend. You're hiring me to help turn decades into days by holding you accountable for doing what you say you're going to do. So if you're interested to learn more, go to brianbeers.com to book a coaching discovery call today. Hey, so, I mean, you mentioned the skeleton in the closet. Any other crazy stuff that you've uh, seen through these old homes or... um... Oh yeah. You, you just, you, there's, there's times where we've had, um, uh, I always like to uh, give the example of what I saw in, uh, Salem city, which if anybody knows where Salem city is in, in South Jersey, it's definitely as rural as you can get. Um, we had issues, uh, with a tenant who complained that their sewage was backing up. Uh, they refused entrance to our plumber, uh, to fix the problem. Uh, then three days later, they finally allowed him to enter in. When they entered in, uh, they found the tenant uh, was defecating on the floor as the alternative to, you know, letting them in. Yeah. Let them in, use a bucket. I don't know, even use the tub. No. The floor was the reasonable choice to the tenant. Um, so uh, that's some of the stuff you get into when you get into really rough neighborhoods. Um, uh, we've had fist fights break out over parking spots. Uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. I, I've been told many times I need to apply for a, um, a I guess, parking wars uh, episode because, <laughs> you know, you would think that properties that have lots of space are going to have very little problems with parking and properties with small amounts of space are going to have a lot of problems with parking. It's almost always the inverse relationship. We have walked into tenants uh, who, uh, despite there being six or eight spots and only four tenants, uh, they wanted one particular spot. And this evolves into this, you know, tit for tat lifestyle, which is that's broken out into full-on fist fights over a parking spot that had, there's you're, we literally are in a field, right? And 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 we're the ones with a property management company. We have to say we have to look at this person and talk to them as if you know they, they're reasonable, and we have to convince them that maybe you've overreacted uh, to this situation. We have to settle down and still collect the rent, yeah. and, and that's the stuff that it doesn't matter how good your systems are. You need to have someone who can critically think on the other side of that line yeah. and be able to handle and be like, okay, I'm going to be metered and level-headed and we're going to sort this out. We're going to make sure everybody's happy or at least happy enough 
we can continue and make this, pro- this rental profitable. So I think that's also something that investors that are getting into these assets need to understand is like, not everyone is reasonable. And, and this is very true, or this is more true on the lower end of the yep. demographic, the lower uh, income area. But it can be very true also on the high uh, high end, demog- uh, 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 like high income earners. Yeah, it's totally unreasonable. Like they, you know, they want everything perfect. And Bingo. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they want yeah, a hotel service. They want a hotel service. But it's, it's not that. Yeah. Hey, cool. So what is one uh, challenge or failure that you've kind of faced, you know, in your kind of life, your career here? And, you know, what'd you learn from it? Yeah. So I I always like to bring up the example of having to do um, uh, uh, zoning variances in New Jersey. So zoning variances, for those who don't know, mean like you have to rezone a a piece of land to allow for usage Mm -hmm. in in your desired usage uh, on the property. Uh, I had bought a property that I thought was zoned one thing, but was actually zoned another thing. And I had to go through a zoning variance and a zoning variance in New Jersey can be a death sentence. It's, it can be, you you might not, you are very unlikely to get it. Uh, And it costs a lot of money. So I was petrified when I found out about this, but I rolled up my sleeves and um, I learned to do small town politics. And uh, I I had to, you know, you know, uh, a, 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 speak to the the council members, find out what they wanted with the property. How can we adapt and change and how can we please the town, but also show that I'm not just some slumlord. I'm a good guy who's going to come in here and and change his property to be uh, a a good, you know, to help out the town uh, in total. And it was a good learning experience because I learned how, you know, I, I had to learn politics, but then also, uh, uh, I had to not get run away. Right. I, I could have easily said, Oh God, this isn't very, you know, variance to say the way I thought it is. I could just sell the property. Right. You know, yeah. I, I had to, and it's a long-term thing. It's not like something you do over a week. This took six months to complete and it cost me more money than I thought it would. But in the end, you know, I'll have something that will give back to me 20 years, uh, uh, you know, uh, from now. Right. Um, and I think um, it's that perseverance and grit that you really need in in, in some of these assets. Or when you're do, when you're yep. when you're building a business, um, uh, I, I think it's I think determination and grit. Um, yep. it, it's something that's key, and you need to learn it as you go. Yeah, you know, I say that you know, successful people don't get lucky, right? It's like you take action that leads to these results, which then you know kind of creates this series of events that come your way, and then you see them and you know how to act on them. Um, any other examples of like that where things that you kind of went at, you took action and, you know, it, it led maybe even months down the line to some results? Oh, I mean, I think when you're building, at least in the maintenance and the contracting side, when you're building a business, a lot of times you are going after leads, right? That might not metabolize, right? You go out there and you did your quotes and then you talk to them, they just dropped you or they ghosted yep. you or whatever it is. And I, I think, every business goes to a stage when it's first starting of like, just you're, you're, you're failing all yep. the time. You are yep. not making your revenue. You're paying out of your own pocket to pay for your employees. You know, when you're first getting going, um, especially for startups that don't have financial backing. Like we didn't, I, I started with my W2 that's, and I paid my employees through my work. Yep. Right. And yep. you, you're just constantly feeling that failure. But then we had, you know, what, what felt like months of just banging our head, uh, against against the wall, and, and we eventually hit a, a number of customers that came back to us, you know, f- three months later, and said, 
you know, we really liked how you guys reacted to these things. And that project wasn't the right one for you, but here's this bigger project for you, yep. right? Here's this, yep. this is the one that we think makes sense for you guys because how you conducted yourself. And I think it's just a per, you know, a perseverance uh, of all that hearing no and beginning, which is probably, you know, you hear that all the time, but it's, yep. it's true. It's true. Yeah. When it goes yeah, you could have, you could have given up after two and a half months of being like this, this sucks. And, you know, there's not a market, nobody, you know, it's too much competition. You need to make up all these excuses, but then, <laughs> you know, you, you believe right in your vision and that you guys can do it. And then, uh, like I said, there's quotes from three months ago, start to come back and then they use, use a referral and it, you know, and that's, that's how businesses get built. But, uh, and it takes that risk. Like you said, you're, you're paying your own guys at your own pocket for those three months or until the cash flow builds. Um, and that's what a lot of people don't understand, especially about entrepreneurship, starting your own business is it's not, you know, they, they see the Instagram or they see these flashy things, right? Even like the real estate investing, but there's, uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. There is no level of anxiety that I can say is describable to the times when I was cash flow strapped and I, you know, payroll. Yeah, sure. you know, two days from now, and like you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're like, "How am I going to figure this out?" Like this, I got people relying on me, and I don't necessarily have the income going in on it. And yeah, you're right. They see the Instagram. They're like, "Wow, this guy, he's got a cool car, or he's got like he's out on the beach and all that kind of." Yeah, no, the business is usually. It, 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 the business is way tougher than that, and a lot of times the people that you see on Instagram doing that might not even have a, you know a feasible business, yeah. right? Just trying to brand themselves. So, how, how many people uh, work for you? How many employees do you have? Uh, we have twenty between the two businesses. Between maintenance, so, or construction, you know, yeah. management. Okay, it, it, it's it's split about sixty forty. Um, six percent on the maintenance side, forty percent on the, uh, the yeah. property management side. You know, so uh, attracting and retaining quality employees is like one of the biggest challenges all business owners face. Uh, what, what does your culture look like? How do you, how do you create this culture that, that keeps people in and, and attract new ones? Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I won't even say that I had the silver bullet because we still had turnover issues, but mm -hmm. like, I, I will say, um, I instill a level of ownership uh, across all of um, my employees, especially on the property management side. It's you guys, you have to make some decisions. You cannot just constantly, um, I think property management sometimes ends up in a, a like almost like an IT ticket formation. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. I put my ticket in and now yeah. somebody will get to me. And then they, they, they push it off to the next person and all that. You know, that doesn't exist at Terravestra. We, um, uh, uh, we, I install a level of ownership that they can make the decisions that they feel fit on there as long as they can stand up to it at the end of the day. Sometimes they make mistakes and I pay for yep. it out of my pocket, right? Yep. But I let them, I, I let them have that level of ownership uh, on the job. And I got that from where I used to work at. I had a corporate job at um, Stanley Black and Decker who makes the wall power tools. And that, that I, I got to always praise them because they they had a culture of, Hey, you own this PL, you know, of your subset of business. And, and that's, and wait, I give that level of ownership to my employees, but I also always teach them whatever decision you're making has an impact on the PL. And I try to teach them how that impact goes because mm -hmm. if they understand where, how, what decision and how that affects the PL, you know, they, they, it, it's something they, they become more conscious of it. And yeah, it, that's not going to motivate necessarily all your employees, but we've been, we find employees who, you know, get motivated by those certain metrics or uh, they care, they, they care a lot about the business. So they want to help the business. And when you, when you get someone like that and you teach them how each of their actions impact the business, then they get like motivated from it even more. So I think that's, 
uh, 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 that's that's the two things: is extreme levels of ownership, and then how does every action you take affect the PNL? And um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you also there's, there's the third is like we do try to both me and my partner Drew, we we try to lead, we do step in, try to lead from the front uh, when needed. So you know, we got to be able to see everything at the at the high level, but especially if you're doing maintenance and contracting. Um, you got to be able to get into, put on the gloves and do some of that work yourself. Uh, I, I know from a property management perspective, I'll deal with some of our hardest tenants, right? I've been physically hit by tenants and my, you know, I know because it's the worst tenant to deal with. Right. And yeah. I'll go out there and say, guys, this is how, like, like, this is how I want it done. And I'll take that blows. And then I'll say, this is how we do it. And, and that inspires people, you know, cause I think a lot of times owners can be sit, uh, sitting on the ivory throne and you know, just collecting their their stacks and getting fat. Um, and I think you gotta you gotta sometimes, you know, put on the gloves and, and show up. Okay, okay. You mentioned doing P P and L reviews and educating. What, what does that look like? Is it is it manager or manager? Um, is that like meetings with these property managers, or is it kind of one on one sitting down going over something? What is it? How do you go about educating them on on the financials of the business? So I usually do it in a one-on-one format um, uh, with them. And usually it's like when there's a potential for a mistake or there was a mistake made is usually the greatest times to show it. Um, okay. And additionally, it's like if it's an incredibly challenging problem, they ask you to, for help on the problem. And uh, I usually set it up as, uh, you know, hey, if we do X, Y, and Z, this flows into this. But if you decide to do this and it backfires, you know, this could affect here, here, and here. And we will have to bring on this, which would drive, you know, this up and that down. And I, I almost like a flow chart, right? But okay. I usually, usually like that, or when a mistake, you know, a, a, an example with contract, it's, it's easier to bring this up in maintenance because yeah. your impact is a lot more easier seen than in property management. Um, but let's say they have to go out to Home Depot three times in the same job in the same day. You lost three hours there, right? You know, like, you know, yeah. and, and that cost uh, uh, X amount of dollars in labor and that drove that up. And look, we're upset because the job didn't get done quicker and you're disappointed because you didn't get as much done. So if we plan this for you, spend 45 minutes doing this instead on the end of your day, you then don't have to go out to Home Depot twice, which means this much more gets done, this much mm. more revenue gets driven in and the profitability goes up higher. And, that, and um, that, we, that's, that's usually how we explain it to you. Okay. So it's a lot of times like an efficiency kind of and labor cost and uh, interesting. Cool. So, you know, having having clarity on your goals is like, you know, one of the most important things to, to accomplish a lot within a short amount of time. What, what are some of the, the top goals that you're focused on right now? Right now, it's uh, we want to grow our maintenance or our, our property management company to be 500 doors. And we have a certain rent. You know, certain, we, we don't we're a little bit different than other property management companies where we don't say the amount of doors. I, I mean, I, I classify it that way because I don't want to tip my hand too much and how much we're going for. But we look at it as instead of doors managed, it's dollars in rent collected. Because okay. if you know your percentage of, of uh, 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 revenue per, per rents collected and you know what your profitability is, you don't have to go for doors. You need to go for dollars of rent. Yeah, collect. sure. Yeah, so, yeah, you can't take doors to the bank, right? Yeah, take dollars. So Exactly. So, um, but it's, it's approximately 500 doors uh, uh, that we're trying to achieve. And then um, uh, we really want to be known as the number one housing provider in, in South, um, in South Jersey, a scatter plot housing provider. I know there's going to be some housing authorities that are always bigger than us, um, but we want to be the number one housing provider in, in the, the lower counties of South Jersey. Be between the ones you own or the one, be 
between the ones you manage? Own manage between the net. Okay, the net both of them. Them. okay. and then and then what's your plan of, of how you're going to go about doing that? So you have about 400 ish doors now, right? So about 20 ish, 25 percent growth. Uh, are there other property management companies out there that you're you're taking from, or is it kind of new new business you're out? Yeah, I mean, get? South because of how remote the area is, it's definitely a little bit on the unique side. We, our customer base is not your standard. Um, hey, I have one or two rentals that I have for passive income and I just don't want to manage it. That's not generally our clients. We're more of like the landlord's landlord where the landlord's burnt out from being a landlord and wants mm. to hand them over. Or they're a huge organization um, that has lots of doors. We have a couple uh, uh, triple digit door people um, that, that we, we manage for uh, because they're just trying to go on such a large scale. And, and so our clients aren't making a short-term play in these areas either, and neither are we. So it's, it's very much a, we're going to grow with them. We're going to help them cross their barriers and, uh, 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 you know, that they face. And then we're going to continue to grow in those areas. Um, there is some competition. We've, we've already knocked out uh, two property management companies completely. Both have gone under, but um, uh, I, I, I don't really look at it as a competition thing. Um, there's plenty of properties down in South Jersey. There's just, I don't think a lot of people have the patience to tolerate it. Um, yep. And and from a scatter plot perspective, uh, we're just going to help our, um, our 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 clients continue to grow. Yep, yep, that's great. And uh, any books you're reading now that you would recommend? There are two books I recommend to everybody. The first one is From Good to Great by James Collins. Yep. Um, I, it, it's a great book on how to take an okay business and make it good. And I think it's actually better from his, uh, you know, built to last book because there's a lot of companies that do not start off <laughs> well, and then you need to correct course. Yep. And so I'm constantly reflecting on from good to great. The other one is, um, uh, the upside of inequality, how good intentions undermine the middle class by Edward Conard. The reason that book I find it to be so intriguing is the the way he economically thinks through problems and policy. And it's not what you have to create policy for your business. You have to create workflows for your business. And when you do, it might have an initial impact that you think is one thing, but what's like the subsequent impacts and how does it change the landscape mm. that might cause other problems to arise or other habits to develop. And I like that book because it, it does such a great job of taking, you know, national level things. And then you can dr- take hmm. that level th- of thinking down to your business. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. There's always unintended consequences. Especially as the owner, you know, we only see kind of one perspective sometimes and uh, don't realize there's going to be this chain chain reaction of events. So uh, good. Um, Grace, where, where can listeners connect, um, find out more, uh, contact you if they're interested in property management? Yeah, so uh, we have a Facebook. It's at Terra Vestra Rentals. So T E R R A V E S T R A Rentals. Um, and then uh, my email is uh, my first initial, my last name at tvpm.info. Uh, I'm sure I'll be in the show notes or something. Yep, but um, awesome. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, that's where they can contact us. Awesome. And where's the name come from, Terra Vestra? <laughs> it means your land in Latin. Okay. So cool. that's, uh, that's clever. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, we we treat it like it's our own land. Uh, there's a lot of times I go, I might stick my sword in the hill a couple too many times for my own my own clients, but uh, 
we do treat it like it's our own. Um, and we, we care a lot about the communities that we operate in. That's awesome. Well, well, thanks for coming on today and, and sharing your story. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, you're a lot of fun and uh, it's been, been great. I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mike. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.